The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. Well, of course, the past week, at least, uh, international events have been mostly covered by what is the mourning period. This is for Queen Elizabeth the um, second after she died last week, Thursday uh, evening. Officially, that news coming through. The response from the continent has been largely muted when you look at what um, Um, has come out of official communication systems, various governments, various heads of states expressing their condolences to the royal family on the loss of the Queen and, of course, um, to the people of the United Kingdom and those that are also part of the Commonwealth. When you look at public sentiment, however, a lot has been said about the role of the Queen and many people, in fact, saying that they're not particularly mourning her death. Why is that the case? A lot of the quest- other conversations have centered around Britain's colonial past, its history, especially in a country like South Africa, but of course many other countries in different parts of the world. Let me invite onto the show Mudidima Manya is a legal scholar, commentator and author. Mr. Manya, good morning to you. Thanks for your time today. Good morning, Cathy, and just uh, to assist you with a correction, you referred to Lisiba Tefis Professor. This other one is Malisela. Oh, apologies for that, yes. <laughs> Thanks for that correction. Thanks for that correction, Tatimanya. You're absolutely correct. Let me invite then Dr. Spat, um or rather Professor Suran Pillay, who is Associate Professor in the Centre for Humanities Research at the University of the Western Cape. Professor Suran, good morning to you. Good morning to you, Kathy, and your listeners. And Dr. Speto Glamini, who is the Secretary General of the Swaziland Liberation Movement. Dr. Glamini, good morning to you as well. A very good morning to you, Kathy, and your listeners as well. I think I want to kick it off just um, with your individual analysis because um, I think there are different contributions that uh, you have made on on the subject. But Ndadimanya, uh, I'll begin with you. What have you made of the response that we have seen out of ordinary citizens um, in South Africa, the rest of the continent, when it comes to the passing of the Queen. Why do you think that her loss is not necessarily being mourned? And if anything, um, there's been a lot of criticism about her role as the head of state. Yes, Kathy, and good day to your, your listeners. You know, Kathy, we must understand this in the context that... Uh, you know, Britain and the British monarchy in particular have got a terrible history, amongst others, of gross human rights violations. And Britain, over many centuries, has been a warmonger. Uh, Britain has colonized, dehumanized people, disrupted lives, not only in Africa and in many other places. The reality is that history doesn't have blank pages. And the reality is that the pain of our forebears will remain for generations to come until this matter is attended to. I find it despicable and insulting that the British and the British monarchy in particular 
want to pretend as if everything that they have done in Africa and elsewhere was something that was commanded by God. I mean, God, the queen uh, is regarded as a defender of faith. What faith? Faith of brutality. Uh, they've deployed missionaries here. They've deployed governors here. They've taken the land of the people. They've brutalized the Maumau in Kenya. They've done many things. They've brutalized people during a famine in India. So in real terms, we carry the scars of British imperialism and colonialism, and I don't think it's something that has to go away. And I think for me that explains my own attitude and probably the attitude of many other people who feel that the king, the queen, and the British monarch in particular represents nothing other than brutality. Speto, let me come to you. No, thanks, Kathy. I, I wouldn't disagree more, really. I think if we look at the history and the damage that the colonial legacy of Britain has brought through, particularly in Africa and many parts of the world, of course, it comes in as something that will not be very much, uh, you know, receptive, especially to those whom I wish to call, you know, victims. But let me also uh, maybe remind your listeners, Kathy, to say, you know, recently in 2022, the, the Queen uh, became the first uh, British monarch to then celebrate what you call the Platinum Jubilee. And uh, whatever that is called, uh, in any case, it's likely to get that, you know, a prestigious kind of uh, status. But it's more like, you know, a celebration of uh, 75 years anniversary and all that. And when that happens, I think there's quite a number of questions that we need to then ask ourselves to say that was that celebration of the British monarch uh, uh, what I will call harmless fun, really? Or does it say that, you know, uh, does it normalize the monarchy's long history of colonialism? And uh, is it a celebration of British imperialism? All those questions. When the king, when the queen died, people started asking themselves all those questions. And we're very much aware, of course, that there's been quite a number of other areas where uh, the British royal family has benefited from colonialism. The enslavement of human beings, of course, is one of the major ones. And the British monarchy appears to have really created, you know, class cleavages. It has been a leading source of social discrimination across the globe. Worst of it all, you know, there's been quite a number of sentiments shared which are actually factual to say that natives have been, uh, you know, left disgruntled and uh, with no resources at all. So the enslavement aspect as well comes to the minds of those who have been victimized. We also remember John Hawkins in, in 1562 was the first Englishman to include African people in his cargo. And uh, these people were basically traded for ginger and pepper or whatever the case may be. Now, you would want to imagine if you were part of that. And it is said that the queen, the queen, queen Elizabeth I, also sponsored one of the vessels on the second voyage uh, by the very same men. So there's been quite a number of other areas that has made not only the African but also the Americas and Black Americans and all the countries that have actually been colonized. And so these are all the contributing factors. But let us also, a second to last, Kathy, remind your listeners that the royal family is perceived to be built on a legacy of stolen goods and atrocities, which is very much said. We'll remember uh, the largest diamond that the king carries, uh, the queen carries, which is called, I think, the Kino or something, which was stolen from a 10-year-old prince in India along with his land and many other things. These things are gradually coming into being. But what is important is that we have a responsibility of understanding the reaction 
uh, of uh, many African uh, you know you know countries, and of course what you referred to as muted response with regards to uh, you know the Queen's uh, passing. And in a moment, of course, we'll we'll discuss why. Um, it's gradually coming into being. So why now? Because some of the historic facts that have been put on the record have existed for some time. So why now is the moment opportune to have this conversation? Um, Professor Suren, I'm going to hear from you in a moment. But first, of course, we're going to be heading over to the news desk uh, to get the latest in terms of the 11.30 news headlines. Kathy Mosasana on SAFM. All right, we continue uh, with the conversation on the talking point for Africa Unlocked today, specifically looking at the reaction coming out of the continent more broadly uh, to the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, Professor Suren Pillay is an associate professor in the Center for Humanity Research at uh, the University of the Western Cape. Suren, why do you think this has been the moment where all of this historical record is being brought to the fore and it's forming part of what is really a mainstream conversation. Thank you, Cathy. I think uh, the important uh, point about the timing of this is that at the moment across the world, we are witnessing a number of uh, movements that have raised questions about colonialism past, and this is really the unresolved past, the legacy of that unresolved past in relation to outstanding questions of justice, which have been put on the agenda for a long time, but increasingly uh, is getting the attention that, that, it, that it deserves. So we have an important uh, past few years uh, developments that have happened around the Namibian genocide, which for a long time was not recognized, and now there are discussions underway about reparations there. We have important discussions happening in France about France's colonial legacy uh, in West Africa. Uh, we have important discussions about the restitution of artifacts taken from Africa uh, that now fill the museums of Europe. And, and, and we are seeing uh, important, uh, small but important shifts happening in those claims uh, being, you know, being heard some of them being entertained, some of them finding victory in court. So I think uh, it is part of a, uh, a, a moment and a move, set of movements happening in the world where, where it is finding audiences and, and it is resonating uh, and it is finding uh, the kind of, kind of audiences that, 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 that will have to hear uh, these critiques, hear these demands, hear these claims. I think that's, why this is an opportunity uh, to raise these important questions about particularly the British Empire's role in Africa, uh, and of course the death of the of the of the, of the Queen uh, has uh, again opened up that question yeah, and and is part of our public conversation. The extent to which the Queen, as an individual or the monarchy, you know, had the degrees of influence uh, in the British Empire since the 1600s and its role in the British East India and in Africa and so on is one for historians to refine. But I think the, the reaction uh, indicates to us the legacy of the British Empire, its violent legacy, its exploitative legacy, 
uh, it's unacknowledged legacy. It's still something that is a, a very open wound and that animates us all. You, you use such an important word there, uh, Professor Pillay, and it's it, it's a, around acknowledgement. Ntatimanya, is this moment, is this conversation about people wanting the royal house to acknowledge that this is what has happened? Is it about saying, well, what happens now that we have expressed how we feel and how we see things? for over 400 years uh, has controlled over 400 million people across the world. And during that period, there has been war. The very foundation of our national liberation struggle in South Africa was the rejection of colonialism and colonial uh, imperialism. Uh, in many <coughs> other parts of the country, the Mau Mau, they all fought. So the struggle doesn't start now. It has been going on. The difficulty is that the repressive approach of Britain and the British monarchy has managed for many centuries to defeat us. That does not mean we will give up our struggle uh, uh, for reparation. If you know, uh, Carolyn Elkins uh, wrote a book which led to a court uh, making a finding against the British with regard to the Mau Mau, and that is a landmark uh, process. Obviously, it's a product of a struggle. She was herself antagonized because he was speaking to, to power. And I don't think that the attitude taken by the young communist league in Britain to call for the abolition of the uh, uh, monarchy is a late call. If you recall, the, the monarchy in Britain disrupted monarchies across the continent and elsewhere. The queen, unelected, wants to preside all over all of us. I mean, when she was 21, she called us the subject of her father. I mean, that is an aggravated form of... Uh, arrogant uh, for somebody coming from somewhere to come here and call us a subject. So this struggle continues. The issue of reparations should be fought by us, should be fought by the next generation until it's resolved. I mean, this, this is not going to... For instance, the British are the ones who called us the Kepas. They are the ones who brought the word Kepa here. We've endured years of course being called Kepas. The Africaners were actually controlling us on the, at the instance of the British. You know, so this whole legacy will continue, and if the time is not wrong, the time is not right. But the struggle must continue, and the peoples of the world must continue to reject the history, the present, and the future of British imperialism and colonialism. Thanks for that, Ndadimanya. And, and I know that you used the K-word in, in reference to just the context of the conversation, but I also have to be mindful um, that, you know, on our platform, we have to be careful about uh, using words that can be seen as discriminatory uh, to our audiences. So, um, yeah, we do apologize for that in, in that regard. Um, Dr. Glamini, this issue of the queen having been a product of her time. It's something that has come up in this conversation. And in fact, those who have been eulogizing her have said that she played a significant role, even in a process like fighting against the apartheid state. And I, I use that term very loosely, but that she did the best that she could within the confines under which she operated um, to 
help move South Africa to what was a more democratic state? Look, Cathy, uh, I, I, I really do want to believe that even if there is an element of um, uh, something that is positive on what the, key, or what the Queen did, the question we need to ask ourselves is that does it really resonate with, uh, you know, uh, Africans and those who were colonized? And to what extent does uh, that resonate with us? It is, it is an indisputable fact, uh, Cathy, to say it is my strong belief that there has been a lot of planned psychological damage that was perpetrated to the colonized. This was a planned deal, an unprecedented and deliberate mental enslavement, which unfortunately we are seeing the effect of it today. It's an indisputable fact that kings and kings and queens have always been there in the past, but their role back then were more along the lines of caring and genuinely carrying out the responsibility of loving and caring for the people than accumulating wealth and, and, and ensuring that they, they enslave people and all those things, but most importantly, being immune to accountability. And so for me, the person that controls the narrative will always control how we think and feel. I'm so much in love with the words of uh, Peter, uh, um, uh, I think it's Kajo Wilson, uh, in his book, The Misinterpretation of the Negro, who said that if you can control a man's thinking, you don't have to worry about his actions. When you determine what a man shall think, you do not have to concern yourself about what he will do. If you make a man inferior, there is no need for you to compel him to accept an inferior status. He will seek it himself. And so for me, there was a mental venom injected in the minds of our people that uh, said these are beyond, you know, uh, they, they are above uh, human beings. They are below, uh, they, they are above the law and many other things. And such psychological damage is also manifested, Kathy, in our children and relatives who will, who will go all out to watch a British royal family wedding without understanding the historical, uh, you know, colonial legacy. So it is my understanding that there is more damage, especially on the psychological part. And I think I do want to agree with the lecture speaker, I'm not sure if it's Professor, who then said that this is an ongoing struggle. In the case of Swaziland, such issues are also tied because you also have people who still regard the king as the uh, uh, you know, individual who is above the law. There's a lot of education that needs to happen. There's a lot of liberation that needs to happen. There's a lot of ensuring that the information that we're talking about is spread across the globe. So for me, really, it's more like uh, we are uh, reaping the effects of a planned psychological, you know, project, mm. which unfortunately we are now, you know, uh, chasing and still going through, uh, you know, the remnants of such a project. Uh, Prof. Suren, how do we reconcile ourselves, just listening to what Ndadimanya and Ndadidlamini um, uh, have said, with the fact that you not only have monarchs and, and, and kings in, you know, th- that remain on the continent, but often um, where it has mattered, especially when it comes to events of global in- importance, they have aligned themselves with the British royal house. You know, we, of course, would know of incidents where whether it is the, you know, the, the, the Swazi royal house, the, 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 Zulu, the Zulu royal house that have been invited to events 
Um, and, and often these are things that are published and, and spoken about in the public domain. So how do we reconcile ourselves to these two views? Because again, these are kings that are still very much uh, operational and even respected and regarded in their communities. So there are two two elements to that. One is, I think, uh, as citizens of uh, democracies, we believe in representative government. We we ask questions about this form, uh, uh, the, 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 this continuing support of monarchies and the place of monarchies in a world that that sees the kinds of democracies that we that we take as. Uh, as important and as the kind of model for how a society should be organized. Uh, we struggle with, with why uh, uh, monarchies continue to exist or have those particular roles in certain societies. And I think that, that's an important debate and question uh, and, and leads to the kind of question that you're asking. The second is a, is a more particular one, which is to do with, uh, in many respects, the British uh, Empire's legacy in Africa in the 18th century uh, and the way that it governed its colonies, uh, which was to say that the British adopted a system called indirect rule, which would allow them to rule over their, uh, their colonial possessions in Africa through the use of local, uh, uh, local chiefs and to reshape chieftaincy in a way that would take away all of the accountability that might have been there to, to reinforce chiefs as authoritarian figures who would have an inordinate amount of power, of punishment, and resource collection in the service uh, of empire. And to a large extent, it, uh, it is that legacy that lives on in, in much of the African continent where chieftaincies uh, have been uh, supported in particular ways and given political powers in particular ways. And, and in the post-colonial period, there's been a lot of struggle with with that legacy of what to do with chieftaincies, in some places they were they were outlawed, as uh, as um, uh, Samora Machel did in Mozambique, and in other places they were reinforced. And of course, we in South Africa have adopted a system that has embraced uh, chieftaincies and customary authorities. So, so I think you know these are important questions, and and the British Empire's legacy of rule in Africa, its relationship to to kings and to chieftaincies in its service, uh, of course, I think has something to do with why we see some of our uh, kings uh, uh, finding themselves in, in the spaces that you describe and being hosted mm. and celebrated and mourning. Ntatemanya, mm. I'll wrap it up with you. To what end do you think this conversation should be? So people have expressed their anger, their frustration um, over an unresolved past effectively. Well, Kathy, you must understand, particularly with Africans, uh, and just to give you an example of two calamities that occurred, and that made us realize that we are nothing in this globe. Uh, COVID, for instance, you remember that the government has been battling to access vaccines. Uh, you remember during the HIV pandemic, uh, we fought amongst ourselves uh, because the, the antiretroviral treatment was very expensive, but the West had it, they could have given it to us if they cared, or at least made it affordable. Now, I'm raising this to say to you that we are operating against a very strong tide of global imperialism against us. And, and it is not going to be easy 
for us to make a breakthrough. Hence, I say that the struggle must continue. Just to indicate to you that, you know, with regard to our traditional leadership system, it was disrupted and distorted by the British. And I think uh, Dr. Damini has ably put it that, you know, when the colonizers managed to colonize our minds, they diverted our attention from our own values. If you remember the case of uh, King Hinsa, King Hinsa was decapitated for sending for his people. Uh, and that is how brutal uh, the British have been. So we are operating against a terrible tide. Having said that, uh, there's nothing that precludes us. Uh, we defeated apartheid here, and I have no doubt that in generations to come, they will defeat this colonial uh, uh, imperialism and its history right. and restore a proper order in the world. All right. Let me thank you all for your contributions uh, to this conversation this morning.